We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, Notre Dame fans, welcome back to another edition of the Irish Breakdown Podcast. It is, what day is today, Ryan? It is Thursday, Thursday right? Thursday. It yep. is Thursday, uh, March 31st, and we are we are ready to talk some recruiting today. So, you know, obviously with the limited access to the team, there's only so much we can talk about the team, but Ryan's been wanting to do this DB recruiting podcast for all, like three weeks now. And I keep putting him off, and I was like, you know what? Today, I think it'd be a good day to do that. So we're going to talk a little bit of DB recruiting today. But before we do, Ryan, we're going to have a little football 101 because I think it's important that we really make sure the people understand what's what when it comes to how Notre Dame plays its secondary, how Notre Dame is playing it now, how they like to play it. So I think that's really important for us to really dive into as we as we get into that so we're going to start off with a little football 101 then kind of talk about the class as it is you know like <clears throat> there's a lot of concerns about secondary Notre Dame fans are in this really weird place right now like they got the number one ranked recruiting class in the country they're under some really good players and like it seems like all we're getting right now is panic for some reason and it's mm-hmm. just kind of confusing me so like DB is a perfect example Oh, I'm really worried about this DB class. Okay, they got a finish, but they got three like top 150 players in secondary already committed. Like you got a top 100 yep. corner, you've got a top 100 safety, and you've got a top 150 safety. Like, look, they're off to a good start, and it's March still, right? So, like, let's say everybody take a deep breath. At the same time, we can also evaluate the board for where it is and say okay, they're either going to have to close on somebody on the board or the board's going to have to expand. So we're going to give you an open and honest assessment of where things stand. But I think at the beginning, Ryan, we got to talk about, about football. And I, I did want to get one super chat from, from my guy, Matt Romero. He says, if you're listening at home, grab a drink. Each time someone says Dante Moore, you know what to do. Rule number 76. This is not a show about Dante Moore, okay? I, I, and I, I can't a, control necessarily. I think, I think we need a code word for We need Dante a home monitor. We need a, a code word, code yeah. word Dante, yeah. so we don't have to say Dante Moore anymore. So, listen, if you want a Dante Moore update, go to the message board. We have one, okay? And and for everyone hyperventilating, calm down because 
you just need to calm down. So go read the message, read the update we have on the message board. We're going to have another update coming up in about an hour or two, a little Intel piece on Cardinal Tate. So you're going to want to check that out. And we've also, Sean and I have been kind of talking a lot about just the NIL stuff. So Sean's going to have, Sean and I are going to have something up about that later tonight, just about NIL and and Notre Dame and all that kind of stuff. So, man, we got tons going on, Ryan, tons, tons, tons going on. And so uh, Barn Barn Zamus, with a super chat, very rare. I get to watch show live. Go Irish. Thank you very much for being with us today. So um, really, really appreciate you being with us and everybody else that's with us today. Barn Zamis, happy Friday. And Garcia, he's so excited. He's already ready to end the week. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. We appreciate those super chats. But Ryan, I want to get started with just some talk about the about defensive back play at Notre Dame because I do think it's important that people understand what Notre Dame does, the difference between field safety, boundary safety, field corner, boundary corner, why Notre Dame has said publicly when we've had conversations, I'd venture that they'd like to get to the place where they no longer have a field safety and a field you know corner, a boundary safety and a boundary corner. So we're going to get to all that. We'll just spend a little bit of time on that, and then we'll kind of get into the recruiting aspect of it. So to begin, this is Notre Dame's base defense alignment, okay? You're going to see a four down front. We're going to kind of focus on the defensive backs here. But again, field boundary is in reference to where they are on the field. So in this particular instance, the ball is over here. Um, we're going to get to this here real quick, but the ball's over here. There we go. Okay, ball's over here on the, the defense's left hash. So in this instance, the field safety and the field corner, as long as as well as the rover, are going to go to what we call the field. That is the wide side of the field. So if the if the hash is here, then obviously this is the field, right? So what you're going to then see is Kyle Hamilton, who was Notre Dame's field safety last year. That's Kyle Hamilton right there. Cam Hart was Notre Dame's field cornerback. He is right there. Jack Kaiser at Rover. And then oftentimes the Mike 
also is considered a field player. Now, there will be times when that'll be a little bit different. I actually have a clip that we're going to use from this Cincinnati game where it's actually the Viper that is lined up to the field because they flipped after the snap when the running back kind of switched sides. They flipped sides, but we'll look at that. So those guys will go to the field. And then the boundary safety, in this instance, that's Houston Griffith, and the boundary corner, which is Clarence Thomas, as long as as well as the Will linebacker and the Viper will be boundary players. Now, that obviously is what we call the short side of the field. Now, if on the next play, the ball goes out here, let's say they run a bubble screen, right? So bubble screen here, block, block, bubble screen. They catch it, throw it quick, bubble screen outside. He gets tackled out here. On the next play, the ball is going to be on the left hash. Then what would happen is the safety, the field safety would go here. The field corner would go here, right? The boundary safety is here. The boundary corner goes off over here. The rover goes over there, right? It gets a little bit confusing. You see that, right? And that's ultimately why Notre Dame would like to get into a situation where they don't have field safety, field corner, uh, boundary safety, boundary corner, and we'll kind of get into why. So first of all, Ryan, let's talk sort of about the field safety position, the field, the, the, and why it's important, the field cornerback position and really the difference between the two. Number one, the biggest difference is, and this is going to seem super obvious to everybody, the biggest difference is space. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, the field safety and the field corner have a lot more space to cover. So if you look at the the distance between right here, between the field corner and the, and the defensive end, it's a pretty short gap, right? And if you look at from the hash to the f- sideline, how much room the field corner really has to work with, say with the field safety. Whereas, or boundary, excuse me, boundary corner, boundary safety. But out to the field, you see, look at all, like Cam Hart's got more room between him and the rover than there is between Camp Clarence Lewis and the, the defensive end. And if you want to get into Cam and the, the end, there's a lot of room over there, right? So the biggest thing for the field and boundary or the field safety and field corner is they have a lot of ground to cover. And I think, Ryan, that's why they put Cam Hart to field cornerback last year is because he's so rangy. I mean, you've got an almost six-foot-three corner here, right? Six-two-and-a-half corner there. You've got a six-foot-four safety there. That's a lot of range because in this defense, the way Notre Dame plays defense, those two guys have to cover a lot of ground. So the biggest thing that a field corner or a field safety has to have in this defense, Ryan, is the ability to cover a lot of ground effectively. Yeah, and that comes not only in run support because, I mean, you gave the example already of the bubble screen. So most people's, um, I think, idea is going to be like, hey, we're working inside out and we're as a field safety, we're working inside out and we're going towards that sideline and run support. Obviously, you need a lot of range in that instance, but also in pass coverage. There's a like you said, there is a much more space that you need to navigate. So you're talking pretty much usually your two most loose athletes and rangy athletes at both safety and corner are on the field side because they just need, I mean, it's, it's pretty common right. sense, right? The more space to navigate, the more range you need to, in order to do so. And there was a play that Notre Dame had actually in this game where they threw a little quick screen and Hamilton, Kyle Hamilton splits the defense and comes down and like makes a play in space, right? So, you know, obviously you talk about that ability to, to have range and, you know, the cornerback down here, his goal in those situations, obviously make the tackle. But if you can't, you've got to you've got to be outside. You've got to force everything back inside. That's what force means. So you've got to be a good force player. So a field cornerback can't be a guy that's not good at taking on the run. You cannot have a field cornerback that's not good at taking on blocks because if this guy gets blown off, there's all like 
So let's say they're going to run that aforementioned bubble screen, right? Right. Like, so if Cam Hart gets driven off the ball, this doesn't have to be a great block because you got all this room over here because that guy got knocked off the ball, right? Mm-hmm. It's a very, very important position. And then, you know, from an also from a run standpoint, is this safety right here has to run fit off of two different linebackers, okay? So he may have to run fit off the mic, and he may have to run fit off the will. A run fit is essentially the safety's objective and as a run support guy, unless he's coming down. So now the one exception could be if he's coming down. So like they may have a call where he just at the snap comes down, you know, maybe the Rover comes out, you know, is going to drop out, or maybe the Rover is going to come up on a run stunt and then the free safety replaces behind him. So he's not fitting off of the Rover as much as he's just playing it in the alley. But in a, in a normal play where he is a deep safety, He's going to have to run fit off of one of those two guys. Now, essentially, to make this as easy as possible to understand, a safety's job, where the boundary safety, for example, basically just run fitting off one guy. That's essentially it. He's either going to play the alley or he's going to or he's going to run fit off of the will. Right. So again, less room to cover. A run fit is is your objective is to make the linebacker that you're working off of right. What essentially that means is if they're running that bubble screen that we discussed before. If Jack Co- if Jack Kaiser takes on this guy right here, and this guy gets out gets an outside block on Jack Kaiser, so Jack Kaiser has been sealed inside, then Kyle Hamilton must fit off of him, make him right by going outside. Okay, that's a run fit, right? So if if so if that guy comes in seals Jack Kaiser because he now Jack Kaiser's inside there, right? He can help that. What Jack Kaiser can't do if he gets blocked outside is get outside. Okay. So if Jack Kaiser gets outside of that defender and gets or that blocker, then now Kyle has to fit on him inside. Okay. So that's how that, that's how that works. Right. So he has to run fit off that. And then sometimes he'll have to run fit off the mic in the same instance. So again, a lot of range is needed to play that position at a high level. And so when you look at, when you look at the field safety, there's a lot of room to work. Now, the one thing that's also interesting is, you know, as, as we kind of get into this, is when when you look at a situation, Ryan, where it's not just you're not just going to play that base defense either, right? The other the other aspect of this is a lot of times that field safety guy is going to come up and he's going to be a guy that's going to have a lot of, hey, your job is to now line up down in the box. Your job is to now line up over the slot, and yeah. we had some of that in in you know from these guys too is you know, you're going to sometimes be asked to come down and, and be a, I'm trying to actually get this photo in here and come down and be a slot guy, you know, and cover the slot. And and that's, I think that's probably one area where I didn't always feel as comfortable with Kyle Hamilton last year was being able to handle that because, you know, we saw that in the Cincinnati game. He wasn't always a great, I think you and Connor talked about this yesterday. He's not necessarily a guy you're going to want to come down and say, Hey, go cover that slot guy down the field. Sure. Yeah. Now he's Kyle Hamilton is much more with his size profile. He's more of a tight end matchup guy than a true slot defender. Right. Like, but I, one thing I do like about the defense, Brian, is with the two high looks that you get a ton, you do have the options to rotate down and then play some single high, which gives you a lot of options. And then, you know, that alignment that you're talking about, I mean, it's very easy to go from that base to a nickel defense. Cause I mean, you just take that Rover off the field, you put a nickel in, like it's just very interchangeable and it's a very easy adjustment out of the defense as well. So I'm going to try to get to this other look here real quick, but the other, the other part of this too, Ryan is 
you get into a situation where, you know, the, the boundary corner is in a, is a guy that the boundary corner has to, that you'll see from here, the boundary corner is a guy that's going to have to be a, you have to be a better in man coverage. That's the one thing that I think we did not see enough of from Notre Dame last year is to be effective. You have to be a better, you have to be a better man coverage guy. And this particular game that we're talking about, the Cincinnati game is, was a perfect example because they didn't always get into situations where that guy was necessarily a a good man cover guy. And so I, I think that's another aspect to this too, is, if for Notre Dame to really get where they want to get to, they have to they have to get they have to get better man covered stuff from that that boundary corner. Now that's the interesting thing because I think in theory Cam Hart is your best guy at both of those positions. The problem is you you can only play him at one, right? You can't play him at both, so mm-hmm. you have to figure out which one do you want to play him with. And I was able to kind of get this up here, so let's pull up this other. Here's here's kind of what we we're talking about before. So in that same look, Ryan. Now this is still a base defense. I believe this was a second down run. This is out of Notre Dame's three down alignment. Okay, mm-hmm. so now they'll do this out of four down. So if you see here, there's one, two, three down linemen. The Viper is now in a linebacker set. This is not a normal alignment. What happened was is the running back was originally here, and so the Viper was here, right, and the mic was over. But when the running back switched sides and went over here, they bumped, they switched. These two linebackers switched. But so in Notre Dame's defense, the reason I wanted to show this, more often than not, Ryan, and this isn't always true, but because Kyle Hamilton played some center field for Notre Dame this year as well, but more often than not, when they go to a single high look, so the previous play was two deep safeties. This is, we talk about, if you're here to say single high, it's because there's only one deep safety. Okay, now in theory, in this look, you can get to three high because both cornerbacks can drop. But in from an alignment standpoint, this is a single high look. In this defense, more often than not, when they do go single high, it's the boundary safety that plays center field. So what you can't have is a boundary safety that's just an alley player. You can't have like this thumper that just comes downhill and all he does is run support. If that's mm-hmm. all he can do, Ryan, that guy's going to get exposed because you're not going to get center field help or – you're going to have to then put him to the field and bring your free safety, your field safety back, which again, now this guy who can't play center field, like if you can't play center field, I can't ask you to play all this, right? Like that's the thing is you need some range at both positions. And so I think Notre Dame has been a bit handcuffed this past couple, this past season, because I feel like they had really only one safety that we saw a lot of that could play both, and that was Kyle Hamilton. I think Ramon Henderson can eventually get to that point. He just, mm-hmm. last year since they converted him from corner, they couldn't ask him to play two safety spots. They need to figure out if he can play one. I think Xavier Watts will be able to play both. Brandon Joseph will be able to play both. In the spring practice that you guys were at, Ryan, I noticed too that they were, during some of the periods, they were going right-left, where yes. they just kept Brandon Joseph to the left, and and Ramon was to the right, and, or Houston was to the right, and no matter where the ball was, they just stayed there. I don't know if that was a two-minute drill thing. Like, that's the thing we don't know from practice. Like, is that what they're doing? Was that a two-minute drill? Is that a nickel thing? Like, there's so many things that go into it. But the point is, is that there will be times when this guy has to come down, and he will be a sort of a single high look, and this guy's going to have to play deep middle. Now, that's when he's going to be asked to, to cover a lot of ground. So 
this is going to give this gives you a basic idea of because and, and this is this is the reason we're talking about you know needing to get a good cover guy in the boundary in this look if this guy goes deep he will almost always have no help you know at least not in the traditional sense hopefully this safety's got the range to get over and help but the reality is is that's a hard thing to do this guy has to play deep middle so you need a cornerback that can be an effective you know, press guy, but effective man cover guy because he's going to be on an island a lot. And right now, that's when Notre Dame got in trouble last year is when they didn't get a lot of help. They they couldn't – when teams could expose Clarence Lewis man-to-man, Oklahoma State did it, Cincinnati did it, that's when teams could really hurt Notre Dame in the past game. Yeah, and I think one thing to know too, Brian, is that at- – so for a boundary safety that is rotating and has to play middle of the field, play single high, your eyes are automatically going to go to the field side because there's just more wide receivers to that side, right? There's more threat to that side. So your eyes are going to go there, which is why just to emphasize why you just said that it's so difficult for him to get that range back to the boundary in case there's a one-on-one backside. So that boundary corner in a lot of ways is going to be in man-to-man coverage, like just flat out and having that boundary safety that has that range. This is why we had the conversation the other day where I said that I think that the safety position may be better this season, because now you have two players that can kind of do a little bit of everything and have some inner interchangeability. It's not that Kyle Hamilton is not a better player than Brandon Joseph. He certainly is. But they both players, I think, now have just a little more true free safety style style where they can do a little bit of both things so that that interchangeableness, I think, is a big help. Like you don't have to just line the same guy up to the boundary every play. You don't have to line up the same guy to the the, uh, field every play. I mean, literally, I think that there's going to be points where if it's Ramon Henderson and it's Brandon Joseph, Ramon might be in the boundary, Brandon might be the field, and then it might be flipped the very next play, or even Xavier Watts, like you in the same uh, conversation as well. So I think that that's where the safety position could take a big step because I think that both guys now just have a little bit more ability to kind of do a variety of roles. Right, and and the point that Ryan is making in this look, they have three say they have three receivers receivers to the field because they don't you don't differentiate between a tight end and a receiver. It's basically three guys to that side of the field, right? So it, depending on how they how they kind of come off the ball, if they get a four vert if they get a four verts release, right? So you get a vert there, up that hash. This guy's going to work this hash, and he's working that guy's working there. This safety is going to have to play here. He has to help out with there which again is going to put him on an island. And even if it's not necessarily a four verts, Ryan, even if it's some kind of, you know, vertical release where, you know, they're going to get something here and here, but even if it's like a high, low concept, something like that, this safety is going to be occupied with two to three with number two to number three in most instances. Now, even if, even if they get some sort of max pro or let's say this tight end stays in and blocks you're mm-hmm. still going to have some, depending on what the call is with him, you're still going to have some, some kind of situation there uh, in your base defense. And so that's what he's referring to in a three by one alignment. It's really hard for that guy to give any help to that boundary corner. So one thing that helps the boundary corner as as you can see from these, these looks is he has less room to cover width wise, right? Like, so 
the boundary safety, the boundary corner get to use the sideline as an as a, an asset. And that's something that I think the safeties, especially Ryan from last year, did a really poor job of. They were always late getting to the side, getting off the hash, and mm-hmm. and giving assistance here. There was a play in this game where they where they beat Notre, Notre, Cincinnati, beat Notre Dame for um, you know a play down the field, and the safety was just late getting off the hash. I mean, the corner was actually where he needed to be. It was like a it was like a cover two look. He's running underneath the guy. And it looks like the corner. It looks like the corner gets beat, but in fact, it's the corner doesn't necessarily get beat as much as the, he was expecting help over the top, and the safety just never gets off the hash. And so again, you Notre Dame's guys got to do a better job of using that. Now, what you can't do is just fly off the hash because if it's a post route, you're screwed, right? You've still got to play inside out, but you know, working off that hash a little bit more effectively and providing more help over the top. Is something I could see. I think Notre Dame's gonna have to do a lot of. Now, this isn't necessarily a look that they're gonna do that out of, but that previous look with the too high is definitely a, a where you're gonna see more of that. So, you know, again, field corner doesn't have to be a six three guy. He just has to be rangy. He has to be able to to be a good cover player because again, you're gonna be playing if you're in man coverage. You've got to, you you could do anything from a cross to a post over the top to deep in cuts to deep out cuts. I mean, there's so many different things that that guy can do. And a lot of times, especially in the single high looks, you're all alone, right? Like Tariq Bracey here is also all alone on an island in this single high look. So you have to be really effective. You know, being a cover guy, you've got to be a a good support player. In my opinion, you don't have to be like a, you know, a great, great run defender, but you got to be a good, you got to be a willing guy to come in and support. You can, in my opinion, the way Notre Dame plays defense, right? I actually think you could put a better non-tackler here in this defense than you can here in the modern game. It used to be the opposite. Yeah. Back in the day when when it was just more of a pro-style vertical releases, you didn't need a, a – a, your, your field corner didn't need to be a good tackler because he was cover. He was a cover guy. But in today's era of the quick perimeter screens where you're taking on this block a lot more or they're just throwing a quick look screen out to this guy. And just, I mean, they're just catching it, throwing it out here now. And it's you and him in space, one on one. I actually think nowadays, with the ability to help, because, you know, again, in this look, in a four down look, you know, you'd have that Viper here. I think there you, you're even getting more support. You've got a good force player there. You've got the, even, you know, again, in the normal alignment, you've got the will out there. A lot of times you're going to have uh, the way Notre Dame does it a lot is that boundary safety and the two high look. So, like, in a two-high look, so they go field safety here, you know, boundary safety over here. A lot of times they'll kind of the, – the will linebacker will be down here, right? You'll put that safety, like – you'll put the boundary safety, like, kind of here a lot of times. And the corner will – the boundary corner will be off, so he'll be playing back. And this guy is the is the primary support player, right? So I think in today's era, you don't necessarily need – a really physical run defender in the boundary like you used to. I think it's nice to have. I think it's a good weapon to have because then you can do more things keeping your safety off the hash. But I do feel like in today's game, and it was not necessarily true 10 years ago, this guy has to be a much better run defender than he needed to be in the past. There's no doubt about that, in my opinion. That, that's a, that's an interesting point, Brian. Anything to add to that, Ryan? Yeah, no, I was just going to say it's an interesting point because typically, like you said, the boundary would be the position where you're, again, you're thrown into the to the, the short side of the field 
and the numbers game is not going to be in your favor. Like if you look at the field side, you know, obviously you have the free safety in this look over there. You got the Rover, you're going to have the Viper, you know, working inside out um, to, to the perimeter, the boundary corner, like it's a, it's a, you know, you don't have numbers to that side. So in, in a traditional sense, the boundary corner was put on an island in run support. So you were in a lot of one-on-one situations, but it's an interesting note that now with how much teams are trying to manipulate space and they're trying to get a lot of screens out there, it's just very much changed how stylistically a field corner versus boundary corner has to play against the run. And I think the advent of the perimeter, not the advent, but the, the the great usage of the perimeter pass game, the quick pass game, the RPO has changed it to a degree. I think corners coverage also had an impact on that because what happened in corners coverage, you know, and again, let's say this guy's back here now, in quarters coverage, your safety's primary responsibility is as a basically like a, a robber. I mean, you basically your your first step down a lot of times is is here. And, and what you started to see more and more of was teams taking their boundary corner off, and he was basically playing over the top. There's sort of like an inverted coverage there. And so, you know, when you're playing that kind of too high look, because what the what it used to be, Ryan, is like when teams would play too high. It was the corner was you're you're, you're going to play a lot of cover two to the boundary and Notre Dame will play some two to the boundary they'll play four to the field two to the boundary you know a combo coverage well if you're going to play two to the boundary this guy has to be a physical player to your to your point and so I think based on certain coverages you you do need a physical guy there I what my point is that if you if you don't have a if you have one of your guys isn't a physical guy I think in a lot against a lot of teams now you're better off putting him there. And I'd say more so against the spread of the RPO teams. If you're mm-hmm. playing a traditional team like a Stanford, this guy has to be a good run defender because a lot of teams are very heavy uh, with their run game in the boundary. I mean, te- if you do studies, most teams that are traditional pro-style running teams are more boundary-oriented with their run concepps. Pass, sure. you know, field, field, field heavy with their pass concepts, boundary heavy with their run concepts, which is, again, why you need this. But in the, with the RPO, with – uh, the the perimeter screens and all those different things that they're doing now, it's kind of changed that a little bit. So that's the other thing that makes it a little bit interesting, Ryan, uh, when we're having this conversation about just who fits where. And so, again, we wanted to just do a little bit of football 101 just to kind of give you some ideas so that you understand why we say, hey, look, this guy, it, it, if we say this guy is a boundary or field guy only, that's kind of a somewhat criticism to be completely honest with you. And if we say that a guy, it's not always Ryan, like if a guy can be great at something, that's fine. But like, ideally you want guys who can play both. Uh, so I just want people to kind of understand that as we are diving into some of these, these player conversations uh, about the the field course. So before we move on, Ryan, anything else you'd like to add about, about that kind of stuff? Yeah, I, w- I would say to the, to the, interchangeableness of playing field versus boundary again like you're gonna get put in a situation where offenses are smart they're gonna try to isolate a guy into a situation where he's not comfortable and i think that a lot of times like you're saying it can be a negative to a degree to not being a diverse player in both instances but i think that one team that really if you think heavy about Everyone talks a lot about Cincinnati, obviously, with with Coach Freeman's time there. And when he was at Cincinnati, he had Sauce Gardner and he had Kobe Bryant. And although Sauce is an interchangeable player, he was always in the boundary. 
Does that make Sauce Gardner less of a really good football player? No, not in my opinion. It's just the fact that he is just better at playing boundary quarter. There's no problem with that. It's just just a little layer there. I just wanted to add in there. So just so you guys understand, um, for some reason, we're getting a little bit of a delay today, Ryan. I don't know if me going out and coming back in made it better for you. Do you Can you hear me a little bit quicker now than you could before? I can hear you. Maybe. Okay, so his responses now are a little bit quicker. So we were having a little bit of a delay, so that's why there were pauses when I was like, um, anything else to add, Ryan? And he was like, because he was a little bit behind, but I think we're, I think we're good now. Um, good question about this too, Ryan, is what's the value of a nickel playing the spread versus Rover? That's a really mm-hmm. good question from John A1. I think the thing about playing a nickel is that's when you, when you are going to put a slot guy in more coverage, especially more man coverage. That's really where you want to be. And even a guy like Jeremiah Wusukoromo, who's about as good of a about as good of a, a cover player as you're gonna get from a pure rover, like a linebacker type of player, there's still matchups where you know Clemson hurt him with this or in the first matchup. Now he was able to kind of recover on the one play and have the third down. Uh he, he got beat on the third down, but he's such a great player, he was able to strip. But Amani Rogers was giving him problems in that game. If you remember the one early third down they had, Ryan. I think it was their first touchdown drive, but it was just third and five, and Amani Rogers just beat him outside a little quick five yard outcut. Like uh, Jeremiah Wusu Corbo, for all his great talent, is not gonna is not gonna close on that play as well as a, a pure co- nickel corner is going to cover. So sure. that 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 would be it, John. It's just when you're in a situation where you're playing a team like Ohio State, for example. Ryan, correct me if I'm wrong here, but when I break down Ohio State's, they are an inside running team and a perimeter pass team. Right, so if they're going to attack the perimeter quickly, more often than not, they're going to do it with the pass. They're going to run an, an, an RPO, a quick screen, something like that, yep. and so team things will get hit quicker. A team like North Carolina, for example, especially two years ago when they had Javante Williams and Michael Carter, they would do a lot more perimeter runs. They would do more outside zone and buck sweeps and things like that. So, you know, against the North Carolina, you may want to keep your rover on the field because he's because they're a run first team and they run inside and outside against a team like Ohio State for example even though Ohio State runs the ball a lot they run the ball sort of in downhill between the tackles and occasionally they'll they'll, they'll they'll pop an outside run no question but a lot of their outside runs are boundary stuff it'll be an outside zone to the boundary and mm-hmm. so in that game because of the way because they do so much 11 personnel because they do throw so much perimeter stuff you may decide as a team to say hey look our best personnel matchup against this particular team is to go more of a true nickel right so it just depends on if you're going to put that slot guy in more covered situations that's where i think you get an advantage from going with a with a nickel as opposed to a you know a pure rover now ideally you get a, an elite athlete that can do both, and Notre Dame had that for the most part with Jeremiah Wusukoromoa. Uh, I've always said that I thought that you know Kyle Hamilton was a great safety, but he could have also been a great rover for that reason, especially if there's someone behind him as sort of like sure. a third safety. Uh, but you know, I think you 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 want to get a guy that can do both. But if you're going to play a team that's just throwing it all over the field, you're going to want to get a nickel in there and, and heck, put your rover inside if depending on who he is. You know, if it's like Jaden Osborne a couple years, or if it's Jalen Sneed. Nolan Ziegler, you can put him inside against those type of teams, and he can play Will, you know, and so that's kind of what you're looking for. That that's a good point too, because I mean, most most of the time, in theory, this is why if you're if you watch a lot of NFL football now, for the people out there, 
the position that is kind of getting phased out a little bit on from a because most teams run sub package more than they run base now. I think there was I think the Seattle Seahawks are the only team that still run base over fifty percent of the time. They're taking the Sam linebacker, which in this defense is the rover, right? He's just mm-hmm. displaced outside. He works outside in a little more than a traditional Sam. They'll take the Sam off the field. They'll put a nickel in the game, and that's the easy adjustment. What Brian's saying now is instead of that, if we if you have someone that can do a little bit of everything, can play stacked, play in space, like a Jalen Sneed, for instance, if he's a 210, 215 guy that can also play Will, then you could take your Will out of the game, put this rover in the will spot and then you can bring in that nickel to play mm-hmm. where the rover would traditionally right. play. So just right. think about the sense that someone needs to come out of the game, but there's different ways now that we can, oh, I don't want to say overcompensate, but you can work so that you have advantages from a speed. Yeah, it's about that. matchups, right? It's about matchups, right? Like how can you, the offense is trying to gain matchup advantages with what they're doing personnel wise, alignment wise, whatever you're trying to counter that with your own matchup advantages say, okay fine you want to do that we'll we'll do this here and we're going to put you know Jalen Steed or Jeremiah Wusu Koromoa you know we're going to put him inside and you know we're going to blitz him right from inside because now your guys can't you know can't whatever or we're going to do this or we'll go to three down whatever the case may be so it's it's a chess game and that's what I love about coaching right is that's the one thing people ask you know, what do you miss about football there's two things I miss about football Number one is the relationship with the players. That was like my favorite part. You know, the Thursday night dinners with the kids over the house and my wife making this big old spread and all this kind of stuff. And the second one is the is the the the, the chess match, the mental battle that you're doing with the opposing coach, you know, is, yeah. is something that, you know, I miss. Those are the two things I miss about the coaching aspects of it. So that gives you all a little bit of a glimpse into kind of what Notre Dame – does structurally now what the field and boundary safeties do is not going to change what we are saying you know, you're going to have these responsibilities and you're an alley guy or a deep middle guy or a you know a field robber guy or a slot guy or whatever the case may be you're working quarters you know here you're working you know you're working uh cover two here where you're t- playing off the hash uh, whatever the case may be however what we have said is even though the responsibility for boundary and field doesn't won't change no matter who the personnel is, ideally you want to have guys that can do it all, right? So they can play field and boundary. So the boundary safety position is going to have the same responsibilities he normally has, but you want to try to find a player that can do that just as effectively as he can do the stuff that you're going to ask the field safety to do. Because in this defense, Ryan, I don't think in modern football, I don't think the field and boundary safety positions are interchangeable. What you want are players that are interchangeable because there are definitely differences to a boundary safety compared to a field safety and what you're going to ask him to do. But what you want to, what you want to, to, to get to is to say, but this guy can do all of it. That so when we say the interchangeableness, it's the players that need to be interchangeable, not, not the, the specific positions themselves. Yeah. And, and that goes to boundary and field corner as well, right? Like, I mean, you're still going to get put up in, in the short side of the field. If you're a boundary corner, you're still going to get put into a more of a one-on-one situation. So your coverage skills are going to matter. I think you said it perfectly though. It's having a player. I mean, Cam Hart's a perfect example because he could literally play both. He could play yes. either the field or the boundary having those types of players just unlocks so much more possibilities. Cause then you don't have to worry about, Oh man, we got to switch real quick. We got to switch here to the other hash. Now they're, they're running quick game. They're doing this. They're doing that. Like it, you can dictate 
how you can align now if you have players that can play multiple spots. It's not that the spots, like the field responsibilities are the same as the boundary responsibilities. It's the fact that you have players that can play at different spots. So great point, Brian. So Ryan, I think that's a perfect segue into the current recruiting class at Notre Dame. And we're going to talk about that first and then dive into kind of what's left on the board. I think the first thing that you look at is we just talked about a, a safety that can do it all. I think that right there is partly why I'm so high on Peyton Bowen. It's because mm-hmm. I feel like Peyton Bowen is a type of athlete that you could put him to the field and he can play corners, he can play in space, he can cover like he can cover tight ends, he can cover slots, he can play over the top, he can come down and play the alley and be a tackler. Mm-hmm. He can play the boundary where he can play sort of off the hash, he can play like a robber, he can play the alley. You know, he's a guy that has the kind of range that can chase across the field because sometimes that boundary safety has to chase a, a drag route across the field. And and I still say the greatest p- individual play that I've ever seen the safety make with all due respect to the phenomenal plays Kyle Hamilton made this year. Harrison Smith made a, a, an interception against Utah back in 2010 where he was, I believe, the boundary safety. He had to, he had to cover a drag route from the boundary safety spot and he caught up to the guy and then undercut him and picked him off. Like, that's why guys like Harrison Smith and, and Kyle Hamilton are so important because you have to cover so much ground. And to me, that's the reason that that Peyton Bowen was such an important pickup and 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 why it's so important they keep him in this class because he projects, in my opinion, Ryan, to be able to do everything from playing center field, mm-hmm. right, to being able to play the alleys, to be able to play man coverage. Like, and, and that's also, you know, we'll kind of get into Caleb Downs a little bit too, but there aren't many safeties that I look at and say, this guy can literally do everything you're going to ask a safety to do. There's maybe three or four a year. Well, Notre Dame has one of those guys committed in the 2023 class in Peyton Bowen, and that's why it's so important to land him and to keep him because he's exactly the kind of guy you and I are talking about. Yeah, and and why is he able to do those types of things I think is an interesting kind of conversation right because one he's a long kid he's six foot six foot plus has pretty good length in his arms and he has a projectable body I mean he's up to 185 pounds but I think Peyton Bowen could play 195 200 very easy so that's kind of an easy like he could play in the run game he could run the alley like Brian was kind of talking about he knew those types of things but the best part of Peyton Bowen's game in my opinion is the range that he has on the back end I mean the kid covers just an absurd, absurd amount of space. And Brian, I don't even think it's unreasonable. I wouldn't be shocked if there's some teams, some programs out there that when they're recruiting Peyton Bowen or they're still recruiting Peyton Bowen, if they toy with the idea that this kid might be a corner for us in our system, like I think he has those man on man skills. You know what I mean? So I I think that he really projects to multiple spots. I mean, I think he literally could play. Ideally, I think that as a, as a boundary safety, he's best because I really love him rotating over the top and doing mm-hmm. all those types of things. But I do mm-hmm. think that he can play boundary corner. Like, there's no doubt. I think he could play field corner, too. I mean, in, in, in the way that they have used it where if he's like an off-man kind of guy, like, to your point, I think he could play up as a field corner. I think he could – or boundary corner. I think he can play off as a field corner where he can just kind of keep – because he's so explosive to be able to plant and drive. Mm-hmm. And and now – if but the thing is, Ryan, is if we're talking about that, Right. We've talked about like somebody asked, I think it was last week. Hey, if Notre Dame were to get a Caleb Downs, would that would that hurt you with a with your current roster? I'm like, no, because if you're Notre Dame, you're like, no, we, we can play all three of these guys together. 
And I think that's the thing that they love is, and to your point, if, if Peyton Bowen can play corner, then you know what else you can play slot where sure. you've got a Don Schuler and Caleb Downs behind him. And in, you know, and saying, Hey, look, you know, in, in that situation, I'd say I'd probably have Caleb as the boundary safety and a Don playing the field. That's probably where I would go with it. And then Peyton is the slot. I, I don't know if you'd go with it differently. That's how I would, how I would do it. Yeah. Um, but you could easily put Caleb. I mean, cause you could put Caleb to the field too. I mean, that's the thing I like about all these guys is you could, is you could do it. But I mean, I, to your point, I think he flips well enough and runs well enough and has the catch up speed to be able to play corner, not as an elite cover corner, but he's a good corner, which would make him a really good slot safety. And now, now that Ryan is where, where things really get interesting against a team like Ohio state, because he's big enough, obviously as a safety and, and a good enough hitter to be able to take on slot blocks and the perimeter runs and those type of things. But he has that cover ability that you look for that you don't necessarily get out of a rover. And so people wonder, well, well, if you've got these two great safeties, why are you still trying to get Caleb Downs? That's why. Because in a 4-2-5, if you could have that kind of player, that kind of trio on the field together with that kind of speed and range, and like you said, versatility, because you know who else could go play in the nickel? Caleb Downs. And then oh, you, could sure. put, you could put Peyton Bowen back. And if you don't know which guy's going to be where, it's like, man, like how do you how do you prepare for that? How do you how do you isolate certain guys in matchups where you're trying to gain an advantage when you can't do that because they can do it all? And that's exactly why it's so important to have safeties, especially. I think it's I would be more comfortable playing field boundary with corners just from a practicality standpoint. I mean, forget the fact that I think it's ridiculous they have to run all that much, but just once the ball snapped, practically speaking, I'm okay with field and boundary corners. I think where teams can really get you into problems is if you have safeties that can't play one or the other. Because if they can't play one or the other, that means they have physical limitations at one of the spots. And if with tempo we can get you into a situation where I know that if we go fast, and this is what Oklahoma State did to Notre Dame, they were able to use tempo to get isolations against safeties and corners and linebackers that they thought they matched up well. And that's why they went tempo in the second half. But if you have safeties and corners, but especially safeties, Ryan, that can do it all, you mm-hmm. can't get them into those matchups. Because, again, what if we talk about like a Don and, and Peyton, right? And you're in a three-safety look. Uh, or Caleb and, and Peyton. No matter who, how quickly you go, whether Caleb's up or back, whether Peyton's up or back, they can both do it at a high level, then there really is no matchup for you there. Your only matchup is to hope you have a six, six guy in the slot because they're both six feet tall, basically. You know what I mean? That's, that's the only matchup you have. And so again, it just goes to why it's so important that Notre Dame has safeties that can play field and boundary. And I actually think both of them, I think a Don Schuler can play both as well. I don't know if he necessarily plays both of them quite as well, as Peyton, because mm-hmm. I don't think Adon is quite the athlete that Peyton is, but what Adon has is the, Adon is one of the more high IQ players in this class, not Notre Dame class, in the yep. entire country class. He is one of the highest IQ players you're going to see. He just you, he knows where to be. He understands angles. He just he gets such great reads. You can see him reacting to the quarterback before the quarterback has even really kind of got into his throwing motion. 
And I think that allows him to be effective at both positions more so than just the freaky athleticism, which is what we see from Peyton Bowen. What are your thoughts on that, right? Yeah, no, I think the difference between Adon and Peyton, I, I think you, I think you voiced it perfectly. For me, Adon Schuler reminds me a little bit of Rodney McLeod, who's been a really good player in the NFL for a little bit stylistically. He has played free safety for the most part of his career, but he's not a guy where he's so proactive. And when I say that, he just kind of sees things very early on in reps where he just doesn't get beat a ton because he's just always in the right spot. You know, like Adon Schuler just is always in the right spot. Peyton, on the other hand, is he's kind of that he's going to bait you, you know, like it's going to look like he's not in great position. And then he just has such great recovery speed that he's going to create a huge interception or a huge pass breakup. So I, I think if, I envision Peyton as being a more ball productive type of player. Like I imagine him having more interceptions, more pass breakups, but I also imagine him not, I imagine Adon maybe giving up less big plays than a guy like a Peyton Bowe. Cause I, I just think that Adon's just going to be in the right spot all the time. And Don will make more, will make a lot of money plays. And that's Coaching how I always felt about Alohi Gilman. Like, yes, right. I love you, sir. That's exactly. how I felt about Alohi Gilman. Alohi didn't have like a lot of pass breakups and interceptions, but almost every one that he had was in a big moment. You know, I think of the pass breakup in the end zone against the tight end at Michigan back in 2018. It just was like, Alohi just kind of, he was great because he could kind of get everybody lined up, right? He was really smart. Jalen was really smart. That's one thing that Troy Pride talked about is just how the communicative, communicative the safeties were. And just I think that's important. I think Peyton and, and Adon both show the ability to kind of be high IQ players. You know, sure. Adon is that. Peyton will be that. The reason Peyton's not it quite as much is because he plays so much offense that I don't think he necessarily has the reps under him as a pure safety that you're going to eventually get to. But he'll he'll get to that point. But you know, with with a with Peyton, like you said, I could see him being like that ball hawking, you know, guy that you can kind of move all around and he's going to make plays. And Adon may not, he may not be sexy, he may not get the pub, he may not get the love. In like in 2018, you know, Julian Love was a guy that got all the publicity, but the heart and soul of that secondary was Alohi Gilman because number one, he was a leader, but number two, just like when you to be a great team to win a championship, you need guys on both sides of the ball that when a play needs to be made they can make it. And I thought that's what made that 2018 team so good on defense is they didn't have a lot of elite players on the team. I would argue they didn't really have any. I didn't think Jerry Tillery was even an elite player. And and I think I think he got overdrafted a little bit. I think he's kind of proven that he's a good player, but not a first-round impact kind of guy. Sure. It was just they were all so good. They were a great unit. But the other thing about him, Ryan, is – at every level, you had at least one guy that would make a play when you needed one. At the linebacker levels, Drew Tranquil. And I swear, if you go back and watch that year, it seemed like any time they needed a big sack, Khalid Kareem got it. I mean, I think of the Michigan game. I think of the Pitt game. I just feel like it felt like any time they needed a play, Khalid was like, all right, guys, I got this. You know what I mean? Let me get this pressure. And then in the back end, they had several guys that did it, but a low he more than any other. You know, it was just a guy – uh, that just it seemed like when a play needed to be made. I think of the strip against Vanderbilt. I mean, they lose to Vanderbilt if he doesn't strip that guy at the goal line. I mean, it's just plain and simple. They probably that lose was, probably. That was J- Jared Pinkney, right? The tight ends, I think it was. Yeah, right? yeah, 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 yeah. Good call. Good call. Yeah. So I just I feel like that that's one thing I do like about both of these safeties. I think they both have a little bit of that. Hey, somebody needs to step up and make a play. We saw Adon do that a ton in high school. And I think Peyton shows it at times as well. 
and he projects to do it even more once he kind of gets defense under his belt. And look, I know a lot of teams are selling him a receiver. And I think he could be a good receiver in, in college. I do. I think I think I think Peyton Bowe could be a, a pretty good receiver in college. I just think he has elite potential as a safety. Receivers like him are kind of common. Let's be honest. You know, mm-hmm. six foot, hundred eighty five pound athletic guys kind of growing trees in today's era. Having guys like him at safety, a little harder to find. And that's why I'm glad that Notre Dame for now is is holding to their ground in regards to keeping him in the class and preaching the defensive aspect because, you know, that's where I think he could really bring this thing home is like Notre Dame needs, they need difference makers of safety. They need interchangeable guys of safety, right? And I think these two kids can be that to a degree. I I really do. It's pretty crazy how times have changed with the wide receiver position over the last few years. Cause I remember I, I talked to, um, I have, a, I have a pretty good relationship with JC Horn that came out of South Carolina. Okay. He's now with the Carolina Panthers. And he told me he was a really good wide receiver coming out of high school. And his dad was the one, Joe Horn, that was like, you should play corner, man. Like, there's just not mm-hmm. a lot of them. There's just not a right. lot of these athletic good corners. So I, I agree with you. I think that there's. So I think that some people are going to start figuring that out, that like there just might be a higher upside because there's just a, an overpopulation. There's a saturation right. of really good wide receivers. And to your point, uh, Don, right now for me, is just to reiterate the point, guys just always going to be in the right spot. You're just not going to get him out of position ton. Peyton Bowen's that one guy, though, Brian, it's just, as a former high school coach, where you're like, oh, God, what are you doing? What are you doing? And then he makes an interception, and then you forgive him. Right. Oh, shoot, he didn't flip his hips correctly. He was out of position. Oh, the deep ball's coming. He's he's They got him by four yards. Oh, look, he's kind of gaining on it. Oh, look, he picked it off. Yeah. Exactly. And, and he'll get that cleaned up. So let me ask you this before we move on to corner, Ryan. Obviously, the ideal situation is you want to have them interchangeable, but you've got to start them somewhere. On first and ten, you got to start them somewhere. If you're not going to go right or left, and you're going to start field court, field and safety, where would you put those two in the ideal alignment for Notre Dame? Yeah, I think for me, I would. So I I think of Adon as more of a field safety because I think I, like you talked a lot about the perimeter screens, like him working inside out and closing on those types of plays. Like that's in my opinion working him down towards the line of scrimmage a little more than Peyton, I think is really advantageous to him. And then I would consider boundary safety, the ability to roll Peyton to the middle of the field because he just has a little more range overall than, than Adon. That's where I kind of vision him. So I think that they both, I mean, as long as they're able to hold on to both in the class, it's really, yeah. really complimentary players to one another, in my opinion. Let's talk corner. Yep. For a lot of the panic about cornerback, I, it's kind of it's kind of funny. I think people kind of forgot how bad cornerback recruiting has been for a long time. Just the inconsistency of it. You know, you look at how good the 2016 cornerback class was and then you look 2017 they didn't get anybody at corner. You know, 2015 it was like Sean Crawford and Nick Coleman, Ashton White and Sean Crawford gets hurt and you look at that 2016 corner class with Julian Love and Troy Pride, Dante Vaughn, and then it's like, okay, nothing for a couple years, you know, and then 2018 was a little shaky. You know, you look at the first class that Mike Mickens brought in, it's got Ryan Barnes, it's got Philip Riley, Chance Tucker. Then the second year you get you get Benjamin Morrison and, and Jaden Mickey, which in my opinion is the best one-two punch just coming out of high school that Notre Dame has signed arguably in the last decade. And I think it, it absolutely can compete with the whichever combination of one, two you find best in the 2016 class of Julia Love, Troy Pride, and, and, uh, and Dante Vaughn. Again, this is about how they were as high school players. I'm not saying they're going to 
be better college players. We don't know. We can only compare them for the same the level that we've both seen them, which was high school players. I think Benjamin Morrison and Jaden Mickey are the best corner tandem they've signed. And then if they've got a top 100 guy in the 2023 class in, 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 uh, in Justin Red. So I think part of the problem is because we haven't seen a lot of those guys yet, that there's still this feeling that, you know, cornerback recruiting is a problem. We'll get into that a little bit where we it's not a problem, but it can get better. It's not a problem to, per se, but it definitely can and needs to get better. But when you look at this class, there is a really talented player already in the class. We've done a full film breakdown of him when he committed to Notre Dame, right? But you do have a corner. In this class. I think some people maybe forget that. You do have a corner in this class for Notre Dame, and that's Justin Rett, who is without question, in my opinion, a, a top. We could argue where he is. You know, some have him as like a top 50 guy. Some have him as kind of a borderline top 100 guy. I think that's more up for legitimate debate. And then that comes into his upside versus where he is now, which we've talked about. But sure. he's definitely a top 100 guy and, and a guy that was a very, very important pickup for and a guy that Bama wanted. I mean, that's just plain and simple. Bama wanted him. And that's uh, that's he's like the third corner that Notre Dame has beat Bama for in the last two years. Second, that's second awesome. corner because they beat Bama for Benjamin Moore, Benjamin Morrison last year as well. Yeah, I mean, so again, that's why it's not panic button for the cornerback recruiting class because there is a really top. I mean, to the to the current value versus the upside value of a Justin Rett, which is a great point, Brian. I would say Justin Rett has the talent of a top fifty player in this class. I mean, because the kid these these type of corners that are six foot, six foot one, somewhere in that ballpark and are legit four, four athletes coming out of high school, which means in theory, they will get faster. You don't have a, you don't get a bunch of them all the time, you know, and, and especially here, right? Like Notre Dame, like you said, is, is had some success at cornerback, but it's also had some dry spells where like they haven't recruited as well. So getting a player like this as a baseline is fantastic. It absolutely is. Justin Rett. He's a guy where I think he's, best suited in in the boundary because of the length that he has and the physicality, the pressability that he has. But also I think that he's also a kid that could play to the field a ton at, at points too, because I think that he is a loose enough athlete to do so. So he's a great start. There's no doubt. There is big time ability with the Justin Rett, the height, weight, speed element that he brings is a great baseline. But the, the fact of the matter is, and the reason we're not hitting the panic button is that he's in the class. But the fact of the matter is, is that you can't be done at the cornerback position you have to be able to either close on some of these guys that are on the board which they're not in great shape for any of them in my opinion or the board's going to have to expand at some point you're going to have to kind of reevaluate and identify some more players that can fit and that could be really good fits in Notre Dame so this is a kind of it's not a make it or break it because there is already a good corner in the class but this is a big transitional period right now to kind of figure out how's this board going to kind of play out over the next few months I think that's the thing for me that I look at and say who that next guy is going to be because I don't think they can afford to just get one corner in this class. I, I don't think they can afford to just – even if it's just a raw kid with a lot of high ceiling but not a very high floor, they need a second corner in this class. It just, now, obviously, ideally, you'd like to have a top, top guy, but I, I think that it, it – I do think that it'd be nice to get a second guy. But I think when you look at Justin Retto, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll kind of transition to cornerback recruiting here in a second – the thing I like about Justin Red is I do believe he brings value to both the field and boundary positions. I think his size and physicality and, and ability to play in man coverage projects well to that to that boundary spot. I, I think his ability just like the one thing that that 
that I that I think he has that like a Clarence Lewis doesn't have, for example. Even though I think Justin's a little bit bigger, but I think there's some things that are similar in their games. The one big difference is Ryan, you and I before the show, we were I was going through breaking down the Cincinnati game and, and we were kind of talking about just some of the struggles that Clarence had. And what was happening in that game and what happened in Oklahoma State is when a corner would when a receiver would get a step on Clarence, he just doesn't have any recovery speed. He just can't he can't catch the guy. Now luckily that you know against Wisconsin and against Cincinnati those quarterbacks missed on some throws like there was a a play I think Cincinnati's second series where I mean Alec Pierce just runs right by him just runs right and he's got a beat by three four steps luckily the corner the quarterback underthrew it a little bit and that allowed Clarence to kind of come and break up on it but a well-thrown ball there and it's six that's the difference between a guy like Clarence, who's a, a good, solid player, and, and a guy like Justin Rett, because the one thing that you – Justin has two things, and we can argue about a lot of other things, and people debating this, that, or the other. There's two things that you cannot dispute about Justin Rett. He's got great size, and he's got legit recovery speed. He's got legit long speed. And I think that is the thing that I like about him. And I think – that those are also two things that I think fit really well in the boundary – because I think he can play man, he can play the post. Because if you're going to play boundary corner, you got to be able to play the post. And I think he can play that. And then he's got the range and the physicality as a run defender to be an outstanding field corner as well. And I think it's important to point that out, Ryan, because if you look at filling out this class, if, if you view Justin Rett as just a boundary guy or just a field guy, it puts a lot more pressure on you to find a complementary player to him in the class. But if you if you subscribe to what I believe, and I'll get your opinion on this in a second, if you subscribe to what I believe, which is that Justin Rett can play both, then just get the best guy possible and you can figure it out. And yeah. I think Justin Rett and Benjamin Morrison especially are two guys that flat out to me create out just as high as boundary guys as they do field guys. And that is a very, very important thing. Yeah, I mean, I talked about it a little bit. I, I do think, and this is why I kind of said that Justin Red is a great baseline. It's not just a baseline because he's a really talented player. It's because I think that he gives you that ability to, you don't have to just pigeonhole him into one spot. I think that he is in theory better into the boundary than to the field, just with the length and the physicality he has as a potential press man. Corner. I would agree but with that. To your point, he can do both. And I mentioned that a little bit, you know, a couple minutes ago is the fact that I think he can play to the field. I think he can play to the boundary. And that's why I just want to reiterate again, He's a great baseline, not only for the talent he is, but because the fact that he can play both spots gives you options, right. in my opinion. And I think if you look at how – let's kind of transition into filling out the class. Because, as you said, I think Notre Dame is off to a really good start. They have more They have more top 50 recruits in the secondary than Alabama has in their entire class right now, like at any position, right? Like – they're, it's early. I don't, and I only say that to point out how early it is. It's still March. Notre Dame didn't get their ninth commitment last year until like June, I think is when it was, right? Like they're super ahead of the game, which also is creating some of the panic because, um, you know, because of that. But, and then the people are going to talk about, I saw somebody say he's a, he's a high decommit risk. No. Justin Rett said before he committed to him, he wanted to take visits. He is one of the few kids in this class. I'm not, I'm not worried about Justin Rett going somewhere else. I'm really not. In this day and age, anything can happen. But, no, he is not a high decommit risk at all, in my opinion. Back to the point, however. Mm-hmm. 
they're off to a really great start. It's going to be about the close. The close is going to be the key. They're off to a great start, two really good safeties, a really good corner, mm-hmm. two important things. Number one, you do have to keep those guys in the class, right? Sure. Um, and, and you know, look, and I just, just what I said about Justin Rett, I'm not worried about Justin Rett beyond how I already worry about any kid in today's era of recruiting, right? Sure. Then I've said in the past, if Pete Werner can flip from Notre Dame, then anybody can flip from Notre Dame. You know what I mean? Like, but I'm just based on everything we know about him, his family, why he picked Notre Dame, the fit, the relationship. I'm just not worried about it. And Marcus Freeman was asked a question the other day about committed kids taking visits. And all he said was just communicate with us. Well, Justin communicated that before he visited. He communicated that since he's been very open and honest about he wants to take visits and from what i'm being told he's also been very honest with other schools to say hey look i'm going to notre dame and that's why you haven't seen him on as many visits as you've seen peyton bowen because i I think he is more locked in and other schools know they kind of like you're kind of wasting our time with justin Rett. i I truly believe that's why you haven't seen as much activity with him as you have maybe a keon keely and a in a in a Peyton Bowen because it's not that the big time schools aren't on him because his final five was like Notre Dame, Georgia, Alabama, right? Like Pretty it was good. some big time schools, and and he was a take at all of them. It's just that people are like, yeah, that kid's that kid's pretty locked into Notre Dame, but you've got to keep him. You got to make sure it's that way. You got to continue that relationship and keep him in the class. You've got to keep Peyton Bowen in the class because if you all of a sudden lose Peyton Bowen it gets a little questionable because when you look at the board at both positions, Ryan Mm -hmm. safety is a situation where if Notre Dame doesn't land another safety in this class, they're fine. A third safety is like a, you can't turn down Caleb downs, right? He's too good. He is a, he is one of the best safeties I've seen come out in the last five, six years. I mean, he's, he's that good in my opinion. So you can't not look at him. He's just too good. And I do think there's merit. A third safety brings value. I would prefer to get a third safety, just looking at the numbers of the position moving forward, but you're fine with two, right? So you're going to have a good – if you keep the two guys in the class, you're at the very least going to have one of the five to eight best safety classes in the country. Mm -hmm. A third guy, to me, really solidifies your future numbers, but it also solidifies you as one of the three best recruiting safety classes in the country, in my opinion. So the the third safety guy, and look, Malik Hartford, I believe, announced today he's going to be making a decision on, was it April 6th? I think I saw Ryan. Yeah, it's not going to be Notre Dame. You, there's a reason we haven't talked about him much. He's not going to be Notre Dame. Uh, you look at the rest of the board, and after Caleb Downs, I don't really know who that other safety is going to be. Um, you know, they're not really pushing for Amari Snowden. You know, they're not pushing for King Mack, who I absolutely love, by the way. Mm-hmm. I understand why their name's not on him, but they're not really pushing for him right now. Where a lot of the recruiting focus is right now, it's basically Caleb Downs and the corners, the other corners. <laughs> yep. And I think that's the position where, to me, you have to get another guy. You cannot only sign one corner in this class. And I, and I know you sign, you know, you have three on the roster from the year before and two from last year. You can, you can survive. You're not going to have bad corner numbers moving forward if you only get one in this class. But to really have a healthy situation, I think you need a second a corner in this class. And when I look at it, Ryan, it really all comes down to two guys, in my opinion, right now. And that's Christian Gray and Micah Tease. Agree. 
Now, yep. Christian Gray is the interesting one. Let's talk about him first, and then we'll talk about Micah Tease. Yep. Notre Dame feels they're in a great position with Christian Gray. And, and I'm of the belief, Ryan, based on the people I've talked to, if they both wanted to come, they'd take them both. That's that's kind of what I've I've kind of that's what I've kind of gathered from people mm-hmm. is if they if they both want to come, they'll take both of them. Christian Gray is a guy the staff has been on for a while. He's from DeSmet, DeSmet Jesuit High School in St. Louis, obviously a school that produced several Notre Dame players recently, most recently Jordan Johnson. They seemed like they were – I mean, he was a basically a, a, seemed like a lock. When you first got hired, Ryan, it was like, yeah, they're going to get Christian Gray. It was like a no doubt about it. Well, LSU hired his former high school coach, and then Ohio State got in the mix. Notre Dame still feels really good about where they stand with Christian Gray, Ryan. I'm not as sold on where Notre Dame stands with Christian Gray. What are your thoughts on his recruitment? Yeah, I, I mean, just talking to Sean, obviously Sean has has contact with Christian Gray regularly. I, I would say the same thing. Like, I, I feel like it was trending Notre Dame very well, and then other schools like LSU got into the conversation, and I, I think it's a little more open than people kind of want to admit to themselves, maybe in the program and just from the outside perspective as well. So I think they're still in a, in a solid spot for Christian Gray. Like, I think that they're, you know, within the – top two or three, but I, I definitely don't think that they're the absolute leader. Like, I don't think right. that you sit here and just say like, Oh, it's Notre Dame at the top. And then there's a gap. Like, I think it's a really, it's going to be a dogfight for Christian. I think Gray it's one, a one B one C. That's what I think. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it could, it could go a variety of different ways, I think right now. So yeah. if Christian Gray's your guy, I mean, there's gotta be a move made here pretty soon because I think the longer this one, in my opinion, Brian, the longer this one, cause we always talk about like the length of recruitment, right? Uh-huh. The longer this one gets drawn out, I feel less positive about Notre Dame. Yeah. I think it trends other yeah. ways because it's always it's already been at points in a really good spot for Notre Dame. So the longer this one drags out, I feel less good about Christian Gray to Notre Dame. I feel the same way. I, I think, yeah, I, you know, it's his whole the whole situation is a little strange, and I I've also been kind of like they, they the the way Notre Dame views him, they view him as like a big time player. That's the other part of this is I like Christian Gray, but like I, I got to go like watch him again and, and again, because when I watch his film, right, I see a kid that's really fluid, really mm-hmm. smooth. He's got, he's not super tall, but he's long. He's got some stickiness to him in high school, but I don't see a guy with great speed. Like I don't, I see a guy that's kind of a pure off man field corner kind of guy, and I don't see great speed. But then you look at it and you're like, yeah, but LSU and Ohio State both won them, True. you know, and those are programs that have had a lot of success recruiting the secondary in recent years. Now it's different coaches, but I look at it and I say, am I missing something here? Because I like them, I'd take them, I'm happy with them, but he's more of a top 150 guy to me than he is like the top. 50 to 100 guy which i think is how kind of notre dame views they feel like this guy is a really good football player yeah i kind of viewed him the same way and i know we had we didn't even talk about that when it was like a few weeks ago when we first started talking about a little bit i view him in like a similar realm as i did when kj wallace was coming out of high school you know like kj was a good football player i think christian gray is a good football player i also don't see great athlete i I think he's a good athlete but there's no doubt like it's not a hindrance to his ability to play on the next level but like i don't see 
I, I don't see a guy that's a special athlete in any sense. So I, I think we're pretty much on the same wavelength when, as far as the quality of player, good football player, but yeah. needle mover. I'm not sure if it's a needle. Mover right. Made. Yeah. But it's still a good pickup. Sure. Right. Like that's the thing is he's a good pickup. He makes sure that you don't lose space between those other teams, but I don't know if he necessarily closes the gap, but I'm open to having my opinion changed on him as he's one of those guys. Like, you know, you always have those guys, like I'm really going to pay attention to this guy's senior film. Like I'm, because there's clearly been some stuff at camps and things like that that we haven't seen that these schools have seen because Ohio State and LSU have really turned the heat up on him. Yeah. And Notre Dame likes him a lot. And and I respect the coaches at each of those spots. Now LSU's a little different because you could say, well, it's his former position coach, his former head coach in high school. So there may yes. that may be it. But like Ohio State really likes that kid. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so go ahead, Ryan. No, I was just going to say, and, and and I do like this, is, and this is just impartial to Christian Gray for a second. I do like Notre Dame getting a little bit into the St. Louis area, uh, yes. a little more consistently. So Very important. A, a little bit of an added layer there. I just want to. Very important piece, no question about it. And you could potentially get maybe two defenders from St. Louis this year with him and Samuel and Pemba. So we'll we'll see how that pans out. The other cornerback, and and this is one of those guys that kind of is one of those grow on me guys. Mm-hmm. That's Micah Tease. I love Micah Tease. When I yeah. saw him at first, I was like, okay, I, I like him. I, I, feel, I felt a lot about him like I felt about Christian Gray. But okay. the more you watch Micah Tease, the more I watch Micah Tease play, the more I'm like, okay, this kid's a really raw technical player that's a really dynamic athlete yeah. that is a lot like Peyton Bowen in that whenever he decides on what side of the ball he wants to play, because he's also a guy that could be, in my opinion, just as good. Of, I know friends of mine, you know, guys that I know that are like, I like him more on offense than I do defense. I personally like him more on defense for the reasons we discussed earlier. Mm-hmm. But the more you watch him, you're like, yeah, there's something there. There's some instincts there. There's some athleticism there. There's some toughness there. The more I watch, the more I like him. But then I got to try to like pump the brakes on it because it's like mm-hmm. – I just I have a hard time seeing them getting him out of Oklahoma. That would be to me, you know, there's two giant bellwether recruits in this class for Notre Dame. And I just wrote an article about that this weekend. And that's Dante Moore and, and Keon Keeley from a really big mm-hmm. picture standpoint. That if you can get if you can keep Keon Keeley in the class and land a Dante Moore, and then they're both with you on signing day. Like to me, you've gone into the the, the lion's den, so to speak, and, and, and put in some work. Right. But then there's some other kids that are, that are other types of bellwether players. And, you know, Oklahoma now is to me an even greater threat now for Micah T's than they were before, because now they actually have a coach that gives a rip about defense. True. Right. Yeah. And I'm not even sure. I bet you Brandon knows the answer to this. Brandon Plesner knows the answer. Do you have any idea what position Oklahoma's recruiting him to play? Has he I, talked to you I, about it? I, I actually do know that. Yeah, he's. Um, they're actually recruiting him to play safety. Okay, so they are recruiting to play defense. Okay, that was yep. kind of my that was my question. Yep. So so you know the thing for me with Micah is that's a, a level to it as well. Is to me, I really like him as a field corner, but I think he could play safety. But the fact that Oklahoma is now recruiting him as a defensive player and they have a defensive minded coach, it makes me a little bit more concerned about it. But as we learned last time we talked about him, he's been on campus. Like what, what did you say in your story, Ryan? Like three times, three, three, times. Or, three or four. He's going to come yeah. back in the, in the spring. Mm-hmm. I, I got to try to tell myself not to get too fired up about that, but man, he's a good football a player. But if you're able to though. go into Oklahoma's backyard, I mean, he's from Booker, he's from Booker T right. In Tulsa. Booker T. 
Yep. Like that is that is prime Sooner territory. If you're able to go to their backyard for a kid they want and they now have a defensive coach and beat them, that's another one of those bellwether recruits that says, hey, Notre Dame can go anywhere now and recruit. And you may not win all those battles, but you're going to have to work. And here's why that's important. If I have to make you work super hard on this kid, then you have to then not put his – he's not the lock he was before. That's less time you can spend on another guy that we're also trying to go after. I also think if you can go into Oklahoma's backyard and beat them for a guy like Micah Tease, you next, you know what your next phone call is the minute after Micah Tease commits to you? Hey, Peyton, this is Coach Freeman. Uh, we just took a dude from their backyard, right? We're doing something here, right? Like, yeah. you know what I mean? Like, that's that's the conversation I'm having. And sure. and so to me, he not only is he a talented player, but man, what does that say about your recruiting operation if you're able to get that guy? That's another that's another layer to this. And he could end up being that third safety we talked about, Ryan. I mean, that's the other piece to this. Yeah, I mean, I, I really like him at corner, but yeah, I mean, like you said, there's been team, there's teams, Oklahoma's one recruiting him at safety. He's being recruited a lot at corner, and there's teams that like him at wide receiver a ton. I will say this, Ryan, I had my first instant reaction when I watched this film. I was kind of like, yeah, I like him. I like him. I, I'm not sure I love him, though. And then I watched him catch the football, play offense a little bit. I'm like, oh, there's a little more athleticism there than maybe yeah. just. And he's a guy for me when he really starts to just play one position. That's where he's going to take off, in my opinion. Like, I yeah. think that he has that type of upside. So a I lot like Peyton Bowen. A lot yeah, like Peyton exactly. Bowen, yeah. Because Absolutely. defense is more of a technical position than wide receiver. At wide receiver, you can just be an athlete in high school. In high school, we're talking about high school, right? Sure. In yeah. high school, you can just be a just a technical, you know, I mean, uh, just an athlete and be really good on offense, right? At safety, even at the high school level, I think defense, especially corner safety, still requires a little bit of a technical – in, in a instinctual and a just a, a reps kind of thing, and that I don't think he necessarily has him and Peyton Bowen both. But like you said, once they start really locking into playing defense, then you're going to start seeing them be like, okay, the game is going to really take off. Because the thing I love about both Peyton Bowen, I actually like the fact that they're both kind of raw sure. because that's what you get paid to do. And we are we've already seen what Chris O'Leary can do with with guys of safety that are kind of raw. You know, we saw what he's done with Xavier Watts in a short period of time, what he's done with Ramon Henderson in a short period of time. Like he's impressed me from a coaching standpoint. We need to see if he can recruit, which means keeping the guys in this class on board. Mm-hmm. But I think he can coach, and obviously Mike Mickens has already proven himself as a coach. I mean, I think the questions I have about those two guys are more recruiting related. Can you recruit the big dogs? Can you recruit the best players in the country at your position? Or are you just going to get good players that Mm -hmm. you then coach up really well? I think that's the bigger question for me, but they're going to get coached up, but you know, give me those guys that are just football players. And that's the thing is like, they're just, they're just guys that can play. They make plays. They can tackle. They can play offense. They can play safety. They can, there's flex. We just talked about, Peyton Bowen could potentially play corner, but mm-hmm. we like him at safety. Now we're talking about Micah Tease as a corner that could maybe play safety. Those are yeah. the kind of things we talk about. Like, boy, think of the matchups, and then you talk about who's your future nickel. Well, if 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 Micah Tease is kind of a hybrid between a corner and a safety, there you go. Mm-hmm. That's it right there. Well, well, he, he that was what went in my mind when you started talking about the safety thing, and you weren't even trying to sell me on it, but my initial response was, nickel safety mix right like that's because then 
rotating down. You can play a lot of sub with, with that type of that type of player. You can play three safeties all the time if Micah Tease is that type of player against mm-hmm. spread teams. So when teams that really just want to, I mean, the USC's of the world, right? Where they just want to just keep going, keep going, right. pace, pace, pace. So I agree. And I mean, like I'll say, I, I've remained steady on this, Brian, and I think you would agree. I still like where Notre Dame is with Micah Tease. Mm-hmm. I, I think they're, I think they're firmly in the second position right now for Micah Tease, which if he keeps coming back to campus, I'm going to say like, okay, they're, they're they're okay. I know some people that think they lead for him. Really? Lead to, I mean, I, but I, here's the thing. Yeah. Leading for him and getting him to decide to leave the state are two completely different things. That's my biggest thing. Is is right. when I talk to him a couple times, it's it's like, yeah, I mean, praise is Notre Dame. I think the kid loves Notre Dame, but I think there's he's one of those kids and I remember you talked about it with like um Billy Shrouth last year, right? Mm-hmm. A lot of pressure to stay in the states, yeah. right? Like there's a lot of pressure to stay in Oklahoma, especially now with the new coaching now at Oklahoma being a defensive coach, like you said, Venables going over there from Clemson. So I think there's just, I think there might be more outside pressure. He strikes me as a kid that, that honestly, to your point of like a lot of people think he might lead to him. I would guarantee, maybe not guarantee. I think though that there's a very good chance that in, in, in his mind, in Micah's mind, he's probably like, I like Notre Dame the best. But there's a there lot have, of pressure. There have been a lot of kids that like another school better than the in-state school, and they don't. Yep. They don't. They can't pull the trigger. Exactly. I think it's especially true in a state like Oklahoma, where there's just not a lot else. I mean, and let's be honest, Oklahoma State's not Oklahoma. It's it's not like Florida, where at times in history, Florida, Florida State, Miami were all kind of powerhouses that carried the same weight. You know, it's not like Texas where you have Texas and Texas A&M or, you know, it's it just it's it's a little different animal. Alabama where, you know, now is there's a difference now, but for a long time, it was like Al- Auburn and Alabama are kind of, you know, both both powerhouses. That's not true in Oklahoma. I mean, it's Oklahoma and Oklahoma State, no matter what Oklahoma State does in the field, they're never going to be Oklahoma. And, and so to me, that's the interesting thing. It's like I, Ryan, and you're going to learn this. The longer you do this job, you're going to be like, man, I, I just knew Notre Dame was going to get that kid. I'm shocked mm-hmm. he stayed in state. But it's that pressure of, you know, it's teachers, it's friends, it's friends' parents. It's like it's like there's yeah. just so much pressure you probably, to stay I mean, in imagine, state. I'm, imagine on the day-to-day basis the Oklahoma gear that he just sees every right. single day, right? Like that's just right. it's the reality right. we're living right now. Right. So that's the thing is getting him out of the state is going to be tough. If they can, I'm really curious if they're going to be able to get him back on campus this spring, or if it's going to be not until the officials. It's going to be interesting to see if they can get it because if they can get him back for another unofficial, then there's no doubt he's going to come back for an official in the summer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, in my opinion. So um, that's it's going to be interesting. Now, here's an intriguing player that I want to bring up because we never talk about him <laughs> ever. Yeah. Because I don't know where he's going to play. Mm-hmm. And we had a question about it, and I want to f- pull this up because it was a great question, but Douglas Road roundabouts. Mm-hmm. Could Ronan Hannafin potentially be the third safety? I know he's being looked at as an athlete. Rover wide receiver seem more likely. But could Ronan Hannafin potentially be the third safety? Ryan, I have some thoughts on this. I wanted to give you a chance to kind of kick it off and answer that question because it is a good question. Because, again, yeah. some people have talked about, you know, potentially him being a safety. But – Let's what say you? 
I, I mean, so in, in a vacuum, I think that Ronan Hannafin could be a field safety, right? Like he's not going to be a guy that I think you want to play single high a ton. He's not going to be a guy that's going to play on the roof. Like you want him working down towards the line of scrimmage. So right. in theory, yes. But I mean, to Douglas's point, and he already said it in his, in his response here, I think he's much more Rover than he is safety. So yeah. I mean, I, w- I would be okay with it because I would really like Ronan Hannafin to be in the class for Notre Dame because I think his versatility brings a lot. But I don't know if I would just categorize him as a true safety. I just don't know if I would. Uh, for me, if it took if it took me giving him a legitimate shot at safety, let's just say, and he, I don't, for as far as I know, I don't think he's asked for this. Mm-hmm. I, I actually think he probably wants a shot at receiver from some conversations we've had, he probably would want first crack in offense as opposed to defense. Mm-hmm. But if let's just say he wanted a, sh- a legitimate shot at safety and that's what it took to get him, I'd give him a legitimate shot there. Absolutely. As long as he understood that we'll give you a legitimate, legitimate shot. But if there's a, a place that's going to get you on the field faster, you got to be willing to move to that. Cause I think he could be at safety kind of like what drew tranquil was before his knee injury. Drew tranquil was a legitimate division one safety before his sure. tours two knees. Yep. And so and Ronan is longer than Drew was at the same age. You know, not not height wise, they're about the same height, six two plus, mm-hmm. but Ronan is longer. I mean, Drew always had really kind of short arms. Yeah. And, and so I would give him a shot at safety, but I just don't know if if his body is gonna hold up at safety, meaning I think he's gonna kind of outgrow I'll that position it. a little bit. Sure. But the other thing too is like you said, he is not a guy that can do it all. I feel like if you're having him play center field, you're not using his abilities well. You, mm-hmm. you, like you're you're kind of wasting him. That's a kid that I want coming down and attacking the football if he's on defense. And I don't know if Notre Dame has the defensive scheme that really fits him as a pure safety. You know, like I that's that's my only concern. Ryan is like if you're going to put him at boundary safety and let him play the alleys, that's okay, fine, yeah, he can do that. Do but that the sure. boundary safety, as we showed at the beginning, has to play center field at times. Mm-hmm. And and I just feel I just don't know if that's necessarily what you want to do with him. You're not utilizing his skills effectively at that point in time. So I agree. I still view him as a rover receiver kind of guy. Mm-hmm. But if he wanted a shot at safety, I'd give him one. I think he's athletic enough, and his body is still in a position where I'd give him a shot. I just don't know if that's fair. Of the three positions he could potentially play, you know, and really, I mean, he could end up growing into a will. I mean, just with his frame. But if we're just looking now at where he is now, mm-hmm. and that's safety, rover, receiver, mm-hmm. you know, for me, I'd probably put it receiver, rover, safety in that order of okay. my personal preference of we're, where we're, I'd we're like close. to see him. We're close. Yeah. I would go rover, wide receiver, safety. So we're pretty close on that. And I'm, it's one of those ones, Ryan, where I have him receiver number one. It's not one I'm going to sit here and argue with you about. And I'm, and I'm assuming it's for you. It's the same way. Like, yeah, I'm not going <laughs> to, I see it. I see why you see it that way. Yeah. He could, I mean, you know? I, I think that he could be a, I think he could be a good boundary receiver on the, yeah. on the college. Level. I even think that he could play a big slot type uh, kind of player as well. So yeah. yeah, I could see it. So it's, I, I felt we needed to talk about him because like, we don't talk about him in the talk linebackers and rovers. We didn't talk about him in receivers because there is no natural position for him yet, but that kid's just a, I, I tweeted out the other night because you saw I got an offer from Alabama. Mm-hmm. And I tweeted just like that. Ronan Hannafin became a top 100 football player. <laughs> the point being is like now people are going to look at him differently because uh, he's got a Bama offer. When yeah. before you and I have been like, no, this kid can play. I don't care where I don't, I, I don't care that he's from Massachusetts. I don't care that he looks like what he looks like, which is going to cause immediately cause people to have questions about his athleticism. 
Um, you know, there's all, you know, three star. He's got so many things working against him from a perception standpoint. Massachusetts, white, three star. Let's be honest. Yeah. Right. Um, and, but it's like, look, the dude can play. And now that Bama offered him, it's kind of like, okay, that's the validation that, yeah, this guy's really good. And you're going to see him probably jump up in rankings because that's just how they base that stuff off of. But kid's a darn good football player. I still know where he's going to play. He's at FBP. I mean, that's what we talk about, you know, just having that position on your roster, having about four or five just FBPs, man, just football players. Like Samuel Pemba, where's he going to play? Don't know, don't care, we'll figure it out. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Where are you going to play Rona Hannafin? Don't care, don't know, we'll figure it out, right? Like that that this class has a high number of those guys and and I feel like you've got to go out Mike Atiz is that kind of guy Peyton Bowen's yeah. that kind of guy where like in two years if you if you sign Mike Atiz and Peyton Bowen in two years you have a you you have a, a receiver situation like Notre Dame is in now where your numbers are sketchy you're like okay yeah I can go over there and probably be better than or just as good as the guys we have a receiver mm-hmm. I, I, I want as many guys like that as possible and that's what I love about Ronan Hannafin even though I can't lock him into a position yeah, I mean, he's just a good football player. You know, I, figure it he out. Was, he, he was one of the guys that I developed a good relationship early on, and when I first came in here in January, I remember. We, I mean, we were saying like, I, I mean, take for Notre Dame right now. Like, in my opinion, I think he's that good of a player. I'd be interested because I think somebody put it in the chat. I would love to know where Alabama likes him, where they offered him at, what position. I just, just for my mindset of like where people kind of see him on the next level. I think it would be interesting. Yeah, I'll try to look that up while we're talking. I'm not quite sure where that is. But honestly, I don't care. No, again, if Alabama thinks he can play receiver or defense for them, whether it's linebacker, safety, whatever else, that tells me something. For sure. That tells me they think this kid is a really good football player because they don't just, you know, they don't, they don't, they don't go up to Massachusetts just to get depth players. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like they're not going up to to offer him. And they had him on campus, so like they set up a visit. Like I believe the offer happened like during or after his visit. You know, it's one of those things where it's like, boy, if that if that kid is can if Bama thinks he can play for them, and I don't care what position it is, then that tells me a little something about about Ronan Hannafin. It, so. It's so funny we just keep talking about Massachusetts so much that this cycle, man. I, I we actually um. On my other podcast, the NFL Draft Podcast, we actually had Isaiah Likely on, who was a Massachusetts kid as well. And I talked to him a little bit about that. I'm like, man, what's going on with Massachusetts? Seriously. Cycle? And he's like, yeah, man. He's like, I always thought we had pretty good football. But he's like, this year, I don't know what up, man. Like, like there's so many good dudes coming out. And he's just, I'm just like, yeah, man, it's pretty absurd to think about. Yeah. And I think, and again, we've talked about this. I think that's good for Notre Dame. I think it's good for Notre Dame because that's an area where I think they're going to tend to have a little bit more success maybe than, than in other years. So. Ryan, yes. if you had to predict right now, yep. Who do you think of the secondary players? Let's go. Let's go. Most confident to least confident. So we're going to talk about, you know, say Caleb Downs. We're going to talk about Micah Tees. We're talking about Christian Gray. Yep. I'm looking at the rest of the list. You Braxton know, there, Myers, Braxton Myers. There. There's a reason we're not talking about him, Ryan. <laughs> why don't you just go ahead and share that little nugget that you put on the board the other day? Yeah, about Braxton yeah. Myers, why we're not talking about him. Sure, yeah. If, if, you, if you're if you on the message board, if you aren't, you should be, for one. But um, I just got to plug that in real quick. But uh, I've, I've talked frequently to Braxton Myers because I know that he's a guy that Notre Dame is high on and they've recruited him pretty – you know, they've, they've definitely tried to get in. He's a, he's a cornerback safety out of Texas. I think um, he's being recruited at both depending on what program you look at. He's just not very – 
he's not very concerned with setting up a visit at this time. Yeah. Right. So it's just not there's the, I, I think the interest level is just not high on. Braxton he's not Miller. been shy about expressing his lack of interest no. in Notre Dame. He has not been, I mean, no. it's basically it. Mm-hmm. Uh, another guy on the board, Caleb Presley's all now. I think Caleb Presley has interest in Notre Dame. I think so. Too. I just don't think it's enough that they're ever going to be a legitimate player for him. Yeah. And I, I would I, say I talked to Caleb yesterday as well. And he, um, so his thing is that he's a big seven on seven guy. So he's right. been traveling so much. So he wants to get to Notre Dame in the spring, but he has not finalized the visit yet. He's one of those guys that until that happens, and that's what I was going to follow up with Ryan. So it's a, a good comment you just made. I'm not going to feel they're a player for him until we get feedback from him post visit. Sure. Cause I think right now he's kind of a West coast kid. I think, I think the only reason he's intrigued by Notre Dame right now is I think the staff has done a pretty good job of building a relationship with him and then Tobias Merriweather. I think those are the only reasons he has any interest at all right now in Notre Dame. And, and it's I'm not they're not going to be a player for him until that right there. Get him on campus and you got to blow him away. And and that's a lot to put on that guy. So mm-hmm. we don't really talk a lot about those guys. You know, Jair Hill is a guy that's on the board for Notre Dame right now, but he's not really a take at this particular time. Right. You know, there's there's some other guys. You know, people talk about, you know, Javion Toviano. You know, look, we've told – there's a reason we don't talk about him either. We've talked to people at Notre Dame, and when there was all this talk about he may visit, they're like, the kid doesn't talk to us. So I don't know where the whole visit thing came from or what that was, but that, that's mm-hmm. not happening. And for whatever reason, Notre Dame dropped Malik Muhammad. I mean, they're just not really recruiting him right now. They don't see him as a fit at Notre Dame, and it is what it is. I think it's a bummer, but um, I, I, I I like the kid. I mean, he's a top 50 caliber player to me. He's a big-time player. So there's Notre some guys on the board they could Shame. turn to, Ryan. It's a, it's a pretty deep year. Yeah, there's some guys out there they could still turn to, but they're going to need to figure if they're going to get on some of those guys, the King Max, the Terrence Loves, uh, you know, the guys like that. They're going to have to kind of, you know, Javon Thomas. Somebody told me that Javon Thomas's dad played in Notre Dame. I don't know who that would be. I don't know if that's like Joe Thomas or so. I don't know who that would be, uh, but I'd be curious to kind of find that uh, find that one out. But uh, you know, we're always going to tell you straight. We're not going to. We're not going to tell you. Oh, this kid may visit to try to get you excited or to 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 pump up clicks or whatever else may be. So that's why I try to say, y'all, stay stay locked into us because that's not our business model, right? We're always going to be straight with you guys. But honestly, right now, Ryan is if they don't close on the guys on the current list, they're they're going to have to figure something out. I mean, because yeah. you need at least one more DB in this class. If you get three safeties in one corner, it's not a deal, but I can live with it. Yeah. I, I can, because I like the Barnes and Tucker and Riley. I think those kids can play. Plus, you got Jaden Mickey and Benjamin Morrison, Justin Red. It gives you six corners that are going to go into the 2023 season with, uh, excuse me, yeah, the 2023 season with at least two years of eligibility left. Mm-hmm. Right? You can live with that. Sure. It's going to put a ton of pressure on you in 2024. You can live with that. But I don't think you can go just one corner and just two safeties. Mm-hmm. I think you need four DBs in this class. Now, that's going to be key for me. And right now, I don't know who that guy's going to be. And I think the point you made earlier, Ryan, is there's a lot of guys I could see them getting, but none that right now I'm going to point to and say, they're going to get that guy. Yeah. Receiver, there's a couple guys right now. Right now, there's actually two receivers, and I'm not going to tell you who they are. People know who one of them is, but you got to be on the message board for the other one because it's a kind of a big deal. There's two receivers right now that I flat out will be surprised if Notre Dame doesn't land. Just flat out surprised. Yeah. At, at in the second at offensive line, there's at least two kids that I'm going to be shocked if they don't get. 
mm-hmm. right? In the secondary, there there isn't that guy. I don't know if there's a guy that I'm like. I think they can. They got a shot at Micah Tease. They got a shot at Christian Gray. Uh, I think they got a shot at Caleb Downs. I don't see that happening, but I can't point to any of those guys. You know, I, I think I think there's only two realistic players on the board right now that they are in a solid position with. And I, I have the hot take, Brian. I think I have a little bit of a hot take, so I would love okay. your reaction to it. Yeah. I think Notre Dame's in a better chance. If you ask me who are they more likely to land out of Micah Tease and Christian Gray, I think I would say Micah Tease. Yeah. I think like I would. I, I, I think that's – a lot of people, kind of, I think, kind of out there are just kind of like, oh, Christian Gray is just kind of a guy people have talked about more. He's been in – you know, Notre Dame's been in the lead, and Micah Tease is just kind of a guy that's been talked about. And I'm not predicting either one to be in the class, but I'm just saying, like, if you ask me my confidence level on both, I would say Micah Tease is more likely – Thank okay, I think, I think Micah Tease likes Notre Dame more than Christian that's what Gray. I was going to ask. Yes, that's what I was going to ask. I think no, I think Micah, I think Christian Gray liked Notre Dame as much as he did because they were the biggest school on him at the time. Because Ohio State and LSU weren't pushing for him. I think the fact that he kind of fell off with Notre Dame after those schools got involved, not fell off, but where you, you lose your confidence because I don't know if he necessarily loved Notre Dame quite as much. You know, and so when then when I look at Micah Tease, it's kind of the opposite. I think he likes Notre Dame a lot, but it's going to be like, can you convince him to leave the home state? So I think that's an interesting take. I, I'd have to let that marinate a little bit. I, I think me for me, it's hard for me to accept that just because I have the paranoia of being able to get a kid out of Oklahoma. Although, I mean, one of the greatest running backs and one of the greatest players in Notre Dame history came from the same high school. Reggie Brooks, two, yep. two Never you know, great running backs of the Brooks brothers, you know, Reggie and Tony Brooks. So, uh, you know, hopefully that can help. Maybe, maybe when next time Micah teases on campus, Reggie happens to be in town that weekend doing something for Holtz's heroes. Who knows? Yeah. Uh, but, uh, you know, it, it's going to be interesting because there's, there's just not a lot of guys on the board right now. Ryan. And if they don't get one of those guys, you know, I, yeah. it's going to be can- interesting. They, they just – they must feel better. I mean, like you said, they, they feel good about where they are with Christian Gray. They must just feel a lot better than we do, obviously. Yeah, they I, do. I that's, why the, that's why the board yeah. is not expanded at this time, right? Yeah. So, yeah. Well, they did they did offer Micah Bell recently, but there hasn't been, like, any movement that we've seen since that offer. Right. Uh, and, I, and, I, and I think that was more of a just, okay, let's stay in the game as things figure out with these other kids. But mm-hmm. it's going to be interesting. But this next month is going to kind of tell us a lot. I, I'm curious if Christian Gray gets back. Mm-hmm. I believe he is on our – is he on our blue gold game board? I'm looking at the visitor list now in Irish breakdown. I'm going to double check right now too. So, somebody just – somebody's already asked on the board about the second receiver. I love it. It's already been, <laughs> That's awesome. I don't see Christian Gray now, on that uh, list he's, for now. He's Caleb Downs is. Caleb Downs. We yep. uh Eli Bowen, 2024 class. Yep. Peyton, Peyton Woodyard, who's a really talented player. Obviously, he's uh, Kyle Hamilton's cousin out of St. John Bosco. Rhett will be there. Peyton Bowen, like you said. I mean, so there, Adon Schuler. There's going to be a lot of talented defender, uh, secondary mm-hmm. players, but not Christian Gray yet verified. Yep. Yep. So, Ryan, that is going to do it for today's show. Everybody, thank you all so much for being with us today. Hey, before you leave, hit that like button. Hit that subscribe button. Hit the notification bell. Share. I bought, Ryan, I'm going to have to get you some of these, man. The brownie batter puffs are legit. They showed up the other day. Here's another reason. Here's another reason that I love Built Bar, Ryan. They sent us a product 
or I ordered a product from them and it was Rocky Road and I tried those yesterday, also phenomenal. And it took it took longer than projected to get here. Before I even recognized that it was past the date, I had already got an email from Built Bar saying that, hey, we didn't get this to you on time. Here's 20% off your next order. That is customer service. It's one of the many reasons I love that we have partnered with Built Bar. We're a part of their ambassador program. So if you see the link below to Built Bar, and I'm telling you the best protein bars in the business, no question about it. Uh, but the reason I, I love them is I think they taste great. I think they're healthy, but also I love the customer service. And so that's why we've partnered with them. If you click on the link below, you get ten, and use the promo code Irish Breakdown, you get 10% off your entire purchase to built bars so you definitely want to take advantage of that so for ryan roberts i'm brian driscoll thank you all so much for being with us today we'll be back tomorrow for our open line oops sorry was wrong that's someone else for our friday free for all uh podcast where we're just it's gonna leave it all up to you and i have a feeling there's gonna be a lot of quarterback questions tomorrow i'm just saying but hopefully we can talk about other things than just that so for ryan i'm brian everybody thanks for being with us hit the like hit the subscribe hit that notification bell share our podcast it helps us out right and of course join the message boards y'all have a great day and thank you so much for joining us on the irish breakdown podcast